Welcome to the Mogul Marathon Real Estate Podcast. We highlight keen investment insights and strategies so you can become a real estate mogul. Here's your host, Yannick Kujo Virgin. Welcome back to another episode of the Mogul Marathon Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Yannick Cujo Virgil. I'm super excited for our guest today. We have an amazing, amazing woman, Davon Reeves. Davon is an award-winning hotel consultant, asset manager, and the owner of three hotels. She is the founder of Vester, the first crowdfunding platform for hotel investments, and the Vaughn Group, a company she created to teach people how to become successful hotel owners. After starting as a front desk agent in the hotel industry 15 years ago, Davon held various positions, including in asset management, where she managed portfolios totaling over $1 billion in hotel assets. And today, she has educated over 4,000 people and provided a path to hotel ownership to many individuals across the U.S. Davon, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you, Yannick. Thank you for having me. So I'm really excited because we met on Clubhouse a couple of years ago, like when Clubhouse was just crazy. You know, we had those marathons (laughs) and I I can't fathom just like being on Clubhouse today and just spending like over 12, 12 hours on it. Well, well, everybody's back out in the streets now. So it was different back then. You know, Clubhouse was popping because we were all in the house. So it was was cool, you know. Yeah. Give our listeners today some insight on who you are and how you got to where you are today. Well, uh, you said a lot in my my bias. I appreciate that. Sometimes I get reminded. I'm like, well, I did all this stuff. But um, yes, I did get my start off as a front desk agent. Um, I navigated my way through um, through hotel ownership by uh, taking a non-paid internship at a consulting firm. And that's where I learned about hotel ownership. You know, who better to learn from were other hotel owners because that's where they were our clients. And so I was there for about three months. And then I took, I went on full-time uh, two years and I moved to Boston, worked for a larger firm. And um, again, that's where I managed, uh, had a, or helped overseeing a portfolio of like a billion dollars, um, which was like, Wow, you know, again, understanding P and Ls and financials, how to put deals together, really understanding how sophisticated and com- com- complex deals or complicated deals are put together. So that was cool to understand. And then in 2017, that's when I started Devon Group, um, which is a consulting firm and investment firm. And in 2020, we acquired the Home Two Suites with Nassau Investments. And in 2021, um, last year, acquired two more properties in Indiana. Um, with NASA Investments. So shout out to Mike Ely. Um, we have a Hampton Inn and Suites in um, Scottsburg, Indiana, and Saybridge uh, Inn and Suites in uh, Indianapolis Fishers. And then most recently, I just launched a crowdfunding platform, Vester, um, which is not only just for hotels, but it's for um, other commercial real estate asset classes as well. So you have multifamily, daycare, senior living. So just, and I designed that because I saw there was a need. There were folks who were like, hey, I have this deal, but I need the capital. And then I was meeting people like, hey, I want to invest, but I don't know where to go. So I saw that there was a, a need, a problem, and so I created a solution. That's amazing. So I want to take it back to the beginning of the days. You said you took an opportunity where you essentially worked for free. Yeah. Right? Like, how, how important was that? Because a lot of people, when they get into 
the commercial space, you know, they want the big money now, right? They want to, they might've had, you know, success in the residential space and they want to just turn it up in the commercial real estate space. But you took a, took a sort of a different route, right? You, you wanted to, to learn before right. you earn. How, how important was that to your success today? You know what? That's right. I like that. I may sue that. I wanted to learn before I could earn. You know what? That's right. Um, well, in order for me, so I had a goal in mind, right? So I was like, okay, I knew that I wanted to get in the hotel ownership or the transactional side. And I was like, okay, what can I do to get there? I didn't go to school for real estate, finance, or economics. And so the job opportunities that were out there for me to get into asset management or feasibility studies or really get onto the transactional side of hotels, you had to have that in your background or in your experience. And I didn't have it. So that was hindering me from getting the job opportunities that I need. And so when an opportunity came with that non-paid internship, I took it. Um, and guess what? You know that they turned me down? Mm-hmm. Why right. is that? I got, I got turned down. Well, they they didn't understand why, because I already graduated from college. So they didn't understand why I would want to take a non-paid internship. Like, So they were just like, no. <laughs> she's, up, she's up to something, clearly. <laughs> they didn't, it didn't make any sense. I was like, how do you turn me down? Like, it's free. Like, you need to, clearly you need the workers, right? And so I, you know, I'm a little persistent and, uh, you know, be, you being in football, you understand, you know, being persistent, being disciplined and being competitive um, and, you know, basically not taking no for an answer. Right. Um, and so I was very persistent in uh, making sure that I get the job because I'm like this. I knew that non-paid internship as an analyst working in this space would help me get to where I knew once they hired me, they were going to keep me. I knew it. I was like, I'm going to work my butt off. They're going to fall in love with me. They're going to keep me. And I knew it. And that's exactly what happened. And that was the best decision I could have ever made because that helped, that catapulted me. And the biggest thing was it was able to bring experience to my resume because I learned about the transactional side of hotels. Yeah. And, and you also learn on someone else's dime. Right before you yeah, incurred true. costs on your own, because these that's deals true. cost a lot of money and it they requires do. a lot of liquidity. And they it's do. always good to, um, and I don't want to say fail because you're you're obviously a fiduciary for who you work for, but right. it's much better when you get to learn on someone right. else's dime. And so right. that's exactly what I did too yeah. in my journey from football to commercial real estate. Was I went and I took a job for a couple of private equity firms, mm-hmm. and I learned from people who were cutting those checks right uh-huh. being in being in those meetings right. knowing how to handle the same situations that you likely handle today in your own business there's just a ton of value yeah. from learning on someone else's dime yeah exactly and of course they didn't think that i was you know, nobody thought that i was going to i didn't tell them but they didn't think that i was going to you know i'm sure get to where i am right or they didn't probably think i was paying attention um but um, I definitely use that as my um, advantage. I always had it in my in the back of my mind. Uh, a lot of people didn't even agree with me, you know, taking a non-paid internship. It was like, Devon, like, it doesn't make any sense. And I had to work at the non-paid internship in the morning, and I had to work at the Hyatt at night because I had to pay my bills. Um, but when you're hungry for something, you got to have that hustle in you, right? Nobody, I think a lot of times, especially now, I'm seeing a lot on Instagram, people want things to be given to them. And nothing is given to you. Like you have to work for it to your point. You have to earn it. Right. And so in order for me to get to my goal, I knew of hotel ownership. I knew I had to earn it. I had to figure it out and I had to be creative and I had to create, you know, something out of nothing, basically. Yeah. 
Yeah, and especially in the world of real estate, private equity, is nothing. Nothing is given to you. Nothing is given. No, especially in private equity. Oh, you got to work. Like you got to figure it out, and you got to be creative. And no is, and if it's a no, that means that the deal is just not supposed to happen. But if it's a good deal, and you need to get to the closing table, you need to figure it out. Yeah. yeah. So let's let's jump right into it. You know why hotel investing? There's a lot of content out there about multifamily or some other investment types, but there there, there doesn't seem to be much, to my knowledge, spreading around social media about hotel investing. We've seen during the pandemic occupancy rates tumbled. Things right. have rebounded since we have opened up the economy. I want to get your take on why hotel investing. So why hotel investing for me? Because that's all I knew. I started out as the front desk, right? You know, multifamily wasn't talked about in my family. I didn't know anything about it. I just knew. I didn't even know you could own an apartment building. I just knew it was an apartment building. Like, I didn't know individuals could own it. I didn't know individuals could own a hotel. Like, I just didn't know. Like, that just... So when once I realized that you could own a hotel, I was like, okay, well, let me figure this out. Like, I didn't know anything besides hotels. Um, Now... NASA I understand that you can literally buy anything because anything is for sale. Um, like everything has some type of transactional or dollar amount associated with. Um, I knew, okay, this, this is, I'm starting to see outside of hotels, but this is just what I became an expert in, right? This has just been my field of study. And um, I'm looking to dabble and to diversify my portfolio with, with multifamilies. Um, Hotels is probably one of the most complicated assets out there in commercial real estate. So for me to dibble into other asset classes will probably be a little bit more easier because I'm starting to because I understand the fundamentals. And once you start to, once you start to understand the fundamentals, a lot of other things kind of make sense. It's like, oh, okay, because a hotel is an operating business sitting on assets, sitting on um, real estate and multifamily has like the rent roll and you got your expenses and you got the staffing model. So it's a little different and not as complicated. You need to be in the industry, it seems like, to to know about investing in a hotel or, or how does someone learn how to invest in hotels? So a lot of people, actually, a lot of the owners, they're not in the hotel business. It's just something that they want to diversify their they portfolio. They have some additional cash. So they just happen to get into it. a lot of the hotel owners never even worked in a hotel. It's probably why mm. a lot of hotels are the way they are now, because they never worked in it. Right. Um, yeah. so you don't necessarily have to have the hotel experience. You, what you do need to have, um, to be a sophisticated hotel owner, um, or to really have a growing portfolio, probably really understand real estate, understand the fundamentals of real estate, um, being capitalized. And if any smart investor knows what to do, they know how to build teams. So even if they're not an expert in hotels, they're like, okay, you know, let me just go ahead and pay this consultant or pay this management company to run it and operate it. And that way I can focus on my other stuff. That makes total sense. This this business is all, all about teams. You know, you can choose yeah. to be active and yeah. run the day-to-day. And if you want to be a professional hotel operator and manage everything soup to nuts, that can be great. But you can also actively invest in them, but also have someone else run it for you. Right. Um, yeah. And be the asset manager and, and leverage their expertise to be successful in this space. Hey, listen up. If you're an employee, business owner, or professional athlete with money in the bank earning 0% return and you're thinking about passively investing in real estate, well, you need to check out our ultimate syndication guide for passive investors. This free guide absolutely covers everything you need to know about passively investing in real estate syndication or just real estate in general. 
If you want access to this valuable resource, go to MerlinAcquisitions.com slash Passive Guide to download the free syndication guide for passive investors. That's M-E-R-L-Y-N-N Acquisitions.com slash Passive Guide or head over to the show notes and click the link to download. Now let's get back to the show. So when we talk about recession-resistant assets, is this considered to be a recession-resistant asset to you? Like, how are you de-risking yourself? Because I understand that the pandemic was, you know, a black swan event and, you know, no one expected COVID to be how it came out to be. But are hotels, are hotel investments considered to be recession-resistant? And how are you de-risking these opportunities? So it depends. You may actually hear me say that a lot because it depends on the type of hotel, right? So if you notice during COVID, even though a lot of people may not personally have been traveled as much, like corporate, because any so the hospitality industry is cyclical. Um, and it's if the economy is doing well, travel is strong. If the economy is not doing well, then travel is not strong. But one thing that remains consistent, maybe a little dip, people, truck drivers still need a place to stay. Remember during COVID, all the merchandise and items, I mean, we couldn't get in fast enough and the truck drivers are doing the best that they can to, you know, move the merchandise. But guess what? They're going to need a place to stay. Sometimes they don't want to stay in a truck, right? They want to. So those are so those type of hotels are typically economy, limited service, extended stay hotels. Um, So those hotels probably of any of the sectors. And so for those who don't know what economy, limited service, so economy hotel is um, hotel with very minimal amenities, no food and beverage, meaning no restaurant. Um, so something like a Super 8. So that would be considered an economy hotel. A limited or select service would be something like a Hampton Inn, right? It's a, it's a little bit above, a uh, step above the, the uh, economy, but it still doesn't have like a food and beverage outlet. So meaning you can't have breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Um, and then you have what you call the full a full service hotel, which has your breakfast, lunch, and dinner, uh, maybe even a spa. So those, the full service luxury, those type of hotels probably didn't do perform as well, uh, depending on which market you was in, because people weren't traveling, especially the corporate corporate travel. Um, and another hotel sector that actually performed well was the extended stay sector. Um, and for extended stay, for those who don't know, that's the hotels like with the kitchenette. So my, I have two hotels in my portfolio. That's an extended stay, which is um, the home two suites and the um, stay bridge in the suites. So it has a kitchenette. So literally you can stay in the hotel for like a month. It has an oversized uh, refrigerator. It has a stove, microwave, you know, suite, sleeping area. Um, those hotels perform well because it's a, a lean labor model. And also typically people say, you know, at least seven days, five to seven days, right? So meaning they're not getting the housekeeping service that they normally would. Um, so probably out of those hotels that I mentioned, extended say, select, extended um, or economy, those particular, I wouldn't necessarily call them full blown recession proof, but those are the type of hotels that I would have in my portfolio to kind of help mitigate the risk during a recession or an economic downturn. That makes total sense, especially when we take a look at it from an expense perspective. You definitely want to manage your costs when things are down. So I can totally see in the luxury space where you have a ton of amenities and staff that you have to pay to keep up with these amenities, you know, those types of hotels would be much more expensive to operate during yeah. tough times as opposed to extended stay hotels where you have people who might move towards more affordable lodging or overall investment that has less demand for amenities in that situation. Right. Exactly. 
So how are you evaluating hotel opportunities from a top-down approach? If someone is interested in buying a hotel, I heard you on a different podcast talk about three KPIs that you look at, which is occupancy, average daily rate, and this thing called RevPAR. Can you break that down a little bit more in detail so our listeners can really dive into um, some of these metrics so, so they'd be successful in their hotel opportunities? Sure, absolutely. And you have a great memory. Um, so yes, the three KPIs that you mentioned, for those who don't know what KPI stands for, that's Key Performance Indicator, and that's basically a metric um, that is used to kind of um, get a better understanding of the, the hotel's performance. And so occupancy is just a percentage of rooms that are actually occupied by guests. So give you an example, if there's 100 rooms in a hotel and and there's a 50 percent occupancy rate, that means that, you know, 50 rooms are occupied, like half of the room is occupied, half of the hotel is occupied, the other half is empty. So that's not even an idea. Average daily rate is just essentially all of the rates combined and it's, you know, an average of it, right? Kind of, well, kind of based off the room revenue. Um, but, you know, AAA, you know, tr- uh, tr- uh, Expedia, all of those different rates is kind of like giving an average of it. All Like, you know, AARP, all those different rates. And then you have what is called REFPAR, which stands for Revenue Per Available Room. And what that does, that gives an indicator of how healthy the hotel is performing. So that's the calculation of the occupancy and ADR. Um, and so you'll use that metric to benchmark and just kind of see um, and going back to rev part, which stands for revenue per available room. So that means that if, you know, if it's a, a hundred per available room, it's like a hundred dollars or something like that, which is going in. That's something that owners look at um, or when you're evaluating, look at to see how much of that is going to flow down to the bottom line. Um, so those are the things. So I get the question a lot. Well, how do you evaluate a hotel compared to a multifamily that's what you're going to be looking at because it's going to have the rates and it's going to have the occupancies. Um, hotels, they're night, they're based off of nightly leases. Multifamily, you're based off is you no, know, they're longer leases. So you're kind of looking at the rent rolls. So if you're looking like, okay, if somebody is staying in this this hotel, you know, I mean, staying in this hotel at on January first. No, okay, J- December thirty first, the rate is like five hundred dollars a night, but in January first, it's like ninety nine. Right. So you can fluctuate the rates. That's why a lot of times people like this as a sexy investment opportunity. But as a, a multifamily, it's the same, you know, um, rate for like 12 months because they're in the lease. Um, so that's some of the things that you look at when evaluating. Also, you want to look at um, the percentages, uh, profit margins, uh, cap rate. Uh, hotels are typically six to probably six to 10, probably seven to 10. Um, from a cap rate perspective, um, another thing that you want to look at is the NOI, um, which stands for net operating income. So how much of that revenue was coming down to the bottom line? Um, another thing you want to look at is debt service. You know, seeing when you're evaluating the hotel, seeing after you evaluated to see how much money is coming in after debt service. Will that make sense for you? So before you start evaluating any, and this is just for any type of investment property, you need to understand what your investment criteria so you may say, I'm okay with the 10% return. So when you're looking at deals, as long as it's at 10%, you're good. You may say, hey, I need 20%. That's what I need for me to make some money and for me to pay back my investors. So when you're evaluating deals, okay, this is bringing the 20% return. Maybe you're looking at a targeted cash on cash of like 15%. Um, so those are the things, but you have to know what works best for you because percentages are percentages, right? So if you're like, okay, 
I'm looking at profit margins that need to be like 30 to 40 percent. So basically what that means from a profit margin standpoint, if you have, I don't know, I'm just making this up a million dollars in revenue for the year. And when you're looking at deals, you're like, OK, I need 40 percent profit margin. So what that means is that 40 percent of the revenue is coming down to, um, to to the bottom line. Right. So that's those are kind of the things that you want to look at. And those are the things that I look at. I'm not the best valuator. Um, I'm more like surface level and I can eyeball it like, OK, this is good and not good. And then I can like get it over to an analyst who's better. See, I'm good at building teams who's better at analyzing deals than I am uh, to see if it's a to see if my gut, if if it makes sense. And then they 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 look and see if it, if the numbers actually base what I'm what my good is feeling. That's a great way to break it down from a top down approach. You can project Revpar based off the historical performance. Right. So let's say you look at how the hotel is performing, how it previously performed, how it's performing now. So let's say. The hotel has a hundred dollar rev bar, and that means you know the co- combination of the occupancy and the ADR is now at a hundred dollars. Excuse me, really, what the what is just saying is just indicate what rev bar is is really just indicating how the hotel is performing as a as a combination of the occupancy rates and the average daily rate. So how you can look at it from potential if I'm evaluating a hotel, then you look at from the how the historical hotel actually performed. So, and then also you look at the market too. So it's two sides when you're evaluating a hotel. It's the market side and the financial side. So the market side is what are the hotels, the similar hotels are doing and how are they performing in your market? So let's say the hotel, your hotel is um, averaging $100 rep par, right, for the year. Okay. But your market, when you look at your comp set, they're already averaging like $90 a year in RevPAR. This means that you're leading the market. There means it's really not that much more room to grow. So depending on your strategy, you may not necessarily buy that hotel because you may want to come in as a value add opportunity. And that scenario that I just gave you is just not really a value add because there's not room to grow because it's based off the market. So RevPAR occupancy ADR that kind of gives you an idea of how your hotel is performing so you can as a, you can use it as a, a metric to benchmark against other hotels so you can test your competitive if yeah. that, that makes sense no no that makes that makes total sense and and how are you you know if, if someone is trying to evaluate a hotel opportunity and look at comps do you have like a software that you use to to find other comps in the market to compare an acquisition compared to um, you know, uh, all the surrounding properties, or is this public yeah. like information, like a Expedia or something like that? Nah, not really. Um, you do have to pay if you want real comps. There's called what you call the Star Report uh, with Smith or ST. We okay. So let me say this: in the hotel world, STR stands for Smith Travel Research. I know it, some people call it short-term rentals. So I'll be like, wait, what? Um, so let me clear that, clarify that. So it's called what you call a Smith Travel Research, and so essentially what that is, it's a report. Um, and it talks about all the different comps and your, in your, and you get that if you're acquiring a hotel, you're getting that from the previous owner or you're get or the current owner or the broker. Right. Um, and so basically what it's saying, so let's say my home two suite, for example, it's going to give me the hotels that are in my comp set or competitive set. That means like hotels. So if my hotel is in Reno, then it's going to give hotels in, similar hotels in the El Reno market because that's because we're targeting the same guests. I'm yeah. not going to get a report 
for guests that are visiting Oklahoma City. Even it's a home two suites, the same size, but it's in Oklahoma City. Those are two completely different guests because that person that's traveling to Oklahoma City, they're traveling to Oklahoma City. They're not traveling to El Reno. So I'm not going to base my comp or my research to see how I can predict the market based off of Oklahoma City. So I have to go by what is called an STR report and it gives you that data. Now, yep. it, won't, it won't tell you, okay, Hotel A ADR is A. Hotel B ADR is is this. It it won't you won't be able to kind of tell which hotel is which. We'll kind of give you like a blend. Like okay, this is how the market is performing. You can sometimes you can like call them like the hotel and you can ask. Sometimes they tell them, sometimes they don't. Yeah, like secret like secret shopping is what is what we do. We go we go yeah. and, and fake act like we're a tenant and and try to get some yeah. information. So like that's what I'm saying. So sometimes they tell you, sometimes they don't. But a lot of times you just get the information um, um, from, from the STR report um, to kind of give you an idea of how the market is performing and how the hotel is comparing against the comp set. So let's say you buy a hotel and the hotel is like number six in the comp set. So let's say the hotel is the average daily rate for the hotel is like $100, but the market is $150. So that means that you probably, so then you look at that particular hotel and you're like, okay, do I need to renovate it? Do I need to change the flag? What can I do? Because clearly the market can support the 150. So what do I need to do to this particular hotel to increase the rate so that way I can get to 150? So now I just gave you a value add opportunity. Absolutely. That's that makes perfect sense. You know, it's all about finding, and I'm sure those those value add opportunities, is that your criteria is looking at value add or is it more kind of stabilized and and maybe just cutting some trim off, value off the expenses? Add. Yeah, yeah, value add coming in. So coming in and um, so existing properties, I like to look at deals that have a management company because how my life is set up right now, I can't really come in and um, check in and out guests. Uh, <laughs> I mean, if I have to, because they my hotels, I guess that's what I got to do, but I prefer not to do that. Um, so my criteria is really just buying properties um, that, that can uh, support a management company. Um, yeah, so yeah. That, that, that's my criteria. Value uh, add now, value add could be it can be a branded hotel, but it's a mom and pop operation, meaning it's an owner operated model, meaning they don't have a management company, so they don't have the resources that a corporate or above property company would have. So that could be a value add opportunity. So the hotel in El Reno was a value add opportunity, even though it was a fairly new hotel, it was still a value add because we came in and we brought a management company and helped stabilize. The, yeah, the, you know, we brought yeah. in the sales department. You know, we brought in a revenue, different revenue management strategy. So we're like the rate lead. You know what I mean? So all of these yeah. different things that help help. So that can be considered a value add opportunity. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. There's certainly value add opportunities where it's an operational play. You right. know, for you, like you said, to bring in a management company, maybe a mom and pop operator was just running it into the ground and didn't really have the sophistication right. to take advantage of the market. So exactly. I totally get get that strategy. Yeah. So what are some expenses that you look at when looking at some of these opportunities? You know, labor. Labor is probably the biggest thing that you want to look at. I'm a little different when it comes to labor because I used to be a line employee. So I'm sensitive. Some people you know, they've never worked in a hotel. They've never been a line employee. Like they've had a certain type of lifestyle their entire life. So them crossing out a person, them crossing out an employee, they're not crossing out a employee. They're, they're crossing out a number. 
Like yeah. that person is like a number. Like to me, it's like this is a person who has a family yeah. who has a lot. Like that was me. So I look at things a little differently. So you do want to be careful about labor, to, but you don't want it. So it is. It has. It has to be a delicate balance. But labor is the biggest cost in a hotel. That's the biggest cost. So that's why models like extended stay, economy, limited service, the labor is not as high because you don't have so many different outlets and components. So the labor is not as high. So that's going back to my criteria. That's some of the things that I look at, which be a limited or economy service um, hotel. Great point there. So yeah. on the discrepancy of cap rates, like you mentioned, between six to 10 percent, is, is I think is what you mentioned. Do you see a variation in the cap rates and yields um, or return on investment when you invest in a property like a Marriott versus a choice hotel or extended stay? Yeah, definitely. And really more so market driven too. Um, market driven and then the hotel type. So, you know, a cap rate in New York would be different from a cap rate in America, Georgia, right? You know, because yeah. it's a different type of hotel. The NOI is, you know, significantly higher in New York than it would be in the tertiary market, right? Or New York City or something like that. So, um, so definitely um, the cap rates would differ based on the hotel type in the market. And what about leverage as well? Um, are you seeing like you get a higher leverage for maybe a Marriott type deal and maybe a lower leverage for like a choice hotel or extended stay? Is it, how, how are the leverages? Because, you know, in my space, you know, say like, you know, if we're looking at a top tier market where like a New York, we might get an 80 percent leverage versus mm-hmm. like a, a tertiary smaller market. The lender might be willing to do like a 65 percent leverage. Are you seeing that in, in your space as well when looking at these opportunities? Uh, so it depends on that type of hotel and it also depends on the owner, right? Or the, the buyer. So some buyers, they want to do 65% leverage. They're in that space to do it. Some first-time hotel owners, they can't afford to do it. So they come in at the 10 to 20%, uh, putting out equity. So they're 80% leverage. Um, some brands, like some hotel types, you can start off with like the 10 to 20%. And also really depends on the lender too. Like the like a lot of times if it's a de- development deal, the lender probably wants you to come in at 50% um, to put down, uh, depending on the relationship. that you, So really boils down. That question is really based off the lender and buyer and how that, how their respective situation is. Um, the type of hotel. So the type, so if it's more like of a full service hotel, that's a different type of investor. So they're coming, they're coming probably from like a 65% leverage standpoint, as opposed to an economy hotel. And it's the first deal. They're probably, cause they're just trying to get their feet wet. So they're at 10 yeah. to 20%. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now that's, that's a, that's a interesting, um, because I had this thought of, you know, hotel investing and given the fact that it's cyclical and, and may not be as super strong, like a multifamily investment that you would have to have this large down payment and, you know, it'd be tough for, for people to get into, but I know that you've leveraged partnership that has, you know, allowed you to get into opportunities that some of our listeners may be interested in, but don't necessarily know like how to do that. Yeah. No, that's a great question. I actually thought about this not too long ago that uh, relationships really helped me throughout my life. Um, I've been fortunate enough to build relationships, um, to understand the importance of relationships um, and relationships are transactional, right? Um, networking is transactional. And a lot of times what people fail, they fail within relationships or, you know, business transactions 
um, or networking because they're they're with them. What's in it for me? They're not thinking about that other person, right? So I get DMs all the time about somebody pitching a deal to me. It's their deal, but they want me to work with them. And it's like, okay, I don't know you. You're sliding in my DM, which means probably don't have any money. You don't know what you're doing. And you're looking at me to do all the work. And then it's going to be a conversation over equity. And you're not going to want to give me that much because you signed the deal. Right? So that's what I mean by people fail because they don't create a space where, okay, what's in it? It should be what's in it for both of us. Right? So how can, if you, if you can find something where both everybody walks away with the win-win and it's fair and you do business the right way and you don't try to cheat anybody, then you're able to sustain and, and build those relationships. I have relationships that I've been known people since I was in college. And I can still pick up the phone and be like, hey, how you doing? You know what I mean? Those type of relationships you want to have because the world is so small and you never know where you never know when when that person's going to come back around or when you're going to need that person, that person is going to need you. Of course, you know, I've, I've had par- partnerships that failed, things that work out that happen. It's a part of life. But it's how you walk away from that relationship and from that, you know, from, from that from that experience, because, again, you never know what's going to happen. I've it's some decisions that I could have made and it could have ended really badly. And I probably wouldn't be here talking to you today because I didn't end that relationship the best way. Like you, cause the, the world is so small and then I'm in black hotel ownership. That world is even smaller. Right. You know what I mean? Yep. Mm-hmm. So you want to preserve that relationship. You want to keep it going. And again, you don't want to just make it where it's all about, okay, what can I get from that person? Cause nobody wants to be used. You know, and so if somebody makes you feel like that they're being used, they're not going to want to work with you. And then the higher that a person gets in life, the more and more people ask them for stuff. Yeah. And so you have to be cognizant of that. You yeah. always have to lead with value, especially right. when people are out here doing deals and have right. a business to run. And, and there's not easy to operate, you know, hotels, you know, it's not right. easy, easy to operate commercial real estate in general, unless right. you're doing some sort of like net lease opportunity, right. you know, right. where the tenant is, is handling everything. People have busy lives. And, and, right. and so if you lead with value and then have yeah. the optimism that you are relationship driven and that person can help you get to the next level. I think that's the best way to try to create a relationship and get a deal done because you might have a deal, but you still need the money, which is really the most important part. Mm -hmm. And you also do need the operational expertise. And if you don't have those two, really the deal doesn't matter. You're just going to miss out on an opportunity. Mm -hmm. So I love the way that you broke that down to really dive into like how to build relationships. So how do you, how are you financing these these acquisitions as well? You know, are you using like any? Is it just you know recourse debt? Are you using non recourse debt? You know? Yeah, we try to do. Yeah, we, we try to do non recourse debt um, for the debt side, and then we bring in equity partners for the equity side. Yeah, and can for our listeners who may not know what non recourse debt is, can you can you talk a little bit about what that is? Uh, that's not you having to personally guarantee the project. So those types of loans are harder to get. Um, and you have to be really more of a sophisticated investor um, to get those deals. So basically what that means is if something happens, you know, the bank wouldn't come personally come after you. Of course, the bank doesn't like that. They want to they want to get the building and they want to come after you because they want to get their money back. So it's a lot harder um, to get non-recourse. Uh, but that's what we try to do, because really 
And a lot of yeah. people try to get non-recourse because nobody wants to be personally getting responsible. They want them to come get the building and not them having to take any, you know, be on the hook for it. Yeah. Yeah. And to, just to get in, get your foot in the door, you have to have the net worth and liquidity requirements right. to and get that non-recourse. And I don't know why people don't understand that. You know, it's just like you have to have the net worth, the liquidity, and you always have the credit profile. So it's like, you know, a lot of times people want to jump into these major deals and they don't want to put any risk. They want it to fall on to somebody else. And what you just said, net worth, liquidity, and and and, and I'm going to add credit to that. So it's like, if you don't have any of those three, then what are you bringing to the table besides the deal that I can get from somebody else? I, t- I totally, totally agree. You know, you really have to bring value to partnerships. That's how we we always approach any any sort of partnership. And I also heard you talk about on a on a separate you know podcast platform about you know their potential SBA options that that right. our listeners may be able to acquire some of these hotels under. Right. If you find a deal that's less than five million, there's an SBA seven A. Is it seven A? It's either seven A or five or four. I always forget. But anyways, SBA, the Small Business Association, uh, um, they have um, a, a loan program um, for commercial real estate asset classes, and the hotels are included where uh, depending on the deal, 10 to 20% down and um, your credit profile that you can qualify for SBA loan up to 5 million. Um, With those particular deals, you do have, somebody on your team has to have hotel experience. So if somebody worked as a general manager or has some type of ownership stake and or investment stake in a different hotel, somebody on that team. So the three things that lenders look for and the three things that makes a hotel successful is the location, a brand, and the operator. You know, hotels are real estate. So what is the most important thing in real estate location, right? Uh, brand. Um, so does like 100. I know a lot of times people want to start their own brand. And I'm like, hey, there's like over 100 of them. We really don't need another one. But having a brand is important um, to the lenders because they know that it makes sense. They know that it works. Lenders are already skeptical living, lending out money anyway on hotels. So adding a non-branded hotel to the factor doesn't really help. But adding something like a Hilton, a Marriott, a Hyatt, or IHG flag, Choice of Wyndham, they've gotten their money back and then some on those brands. They know it works. They get it. They, they say it at them. You know what I mean? So it makes sense. Yeah. An operator somebody who's managing the day-to-day operations. Um, and that's probably one of the most crucial things because they're going to make sure that the hotel runs effectively and efficiently so that way the lender can get their money back. So going back to the SBA and other lenders, those are those are the things that you want to have in place prior to you speaking to them um, or kind of get an idea, at least having an operator, because that's what they're going to ask you. They're going to be like, who's going to, and the brands are going to ask you, like, who's going who's gonna to operate the hotel? And you can't be like, yeah. oh, me, you know, I just started, <laughs> this is my first time. They're going to be like, okay, needed like a real strong general manager, or you've had to take some type of program or somebody's going to have to vouch for you that you'll be able to, to, to handle this operation. Yeah. And I've heard too, that there are application fees when you're dealing with yeah. um, a large brand. Well, it's a franchise. Well. So it's a franchise. A lot of people don't realize when you're buying into a hotel, you're buying into a franchise. And so what these franchises do, they have application fees and have franchise fees associated with it. So yes, you do have to pay application fees. Depending on the type of brand, um, the application fees are more than others. I've, I've heard it's in like the six figures for some. <laughs> for, some for hotels some of them. are in six figures. Some of them are, you know, four figures. Some of them are five figures. It just, it, it literally just depends on the deal. So again, when I tell people to start in the economy, again, that's a good way to start because the application fees may not be in a six figure range. 
that's a pretty penny there. <laughs> um, that's that's a lot of money. You don't get approved if you don't get approved. Yeah, non-refundable. Right. That's that's a tough tough pill to swallow. So I want to talk about your crowdfunding platform and you know you know also how you kind of structuring these deals. Can you can you give us some context of of both you know how you're structuring these deals and maybe touch into the crowdfunding platform that you have for investors to invest with you as well. Sure. So, uh, Vester, which launched on July 11th, my daddy's birthday, uh, this year, it's a crowdfunding platform and it's for commercial real estate. And so essentially what you can do if you have a deal that you need to raise equity or get limited partners for is your deal. Just think of us as a marketing platform. We're registered. Um, we're a member of FINRA. So that means we're regulated. Um, go to Vester.com, V-E-S-T-E-R-R.com. You can upload your project to the site. Uh, we will vet it. Um, I mean, to make sure it goes through compliance. If it gets approved, then we'll upload you to our website. Um, investors or limited partners or silent partners, they can come in. And they can, So think of it as a marketplace. So it's a marketplace of different, different deals, commercial real estate deals that they can look at and invest. If they decide to invest, uh, meaning after they do their own due diligence and they decide to move forward, the investor will come in um, and they can invest using their, you know, uh, uh a self-directed IRA, credit card, wire, ACH, and um, then the money will be going to an escrow account until the deal closes, um, and then the money will be transferred over to the sponsor. So, um, yeah, that's that's best. And you can raise up to five hundred thousand. I mean, excuse me, you can raise up to five million. Excuse me, per Reg CF rules. Um, I didn't come up with that. There's something SEC coming with. Came with, which stands for Securities Exchange Commission. And then also what makes our platform unique is that both um, accredited and non-accredited investors can actually invest in the platform. That's amazing. I mean, that, you, you've got to love real estate today. You know, being able to like yeah. at a click of a button invest in opportunities that right. really wasn't available, you know, over 10 years ago you know, right. to right. the average person. Right. Who, who had a lot of money in their 401k and just right. invested in the stock market and, and dealt right. with the roller coaster ride of the stock market. But right. here you have, you know, a, a, a real estate marketplace that allows you to invest in opportunities that can certainly, you know, increase your wealth. So talk about talk a little bit about your your book and your coaching sessions and how, you know, if someone is interested in investing or, or becoming an investor in the hotel space, you know, how they can learn from you and your journey. So I have a book. It's called How to Buy a Hotel. It's on uh, Amazon. Um, and it just, you know, talks about, you know, the different types of hotels that I mentioned earlier in the, in the show. Um, it talks about how you can analyze the deal. Even um, I even have a virtual series where you can listen in and listen to different um, different speakers. Um, like Mike Ely, my business partner, he'll walk you through how to analyze the deal 20 minutes or less. Um, we have different investors. They're first-time investors, other owners. We even talk about how to invest in a REIT because there's four different ways that you can invest in a hotel. Real Estate Investment Trust is one of them. So that's what's talked about in the book. Um, I also have, um, I'm about to relaunch my mastermind program for the folks who really want that hands-on experience to kind of walk them through and navigate. These are for the folks who are looking to 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 own a hotel probably within the next um, uh, 12 to 24 months. Yeah. You know, I'm a part of a, of a mastermind and it's always great to learn from people who are doing the business because yeah. either you can do it yourself and spend the money and right. potentially lose money or spend the money to learn from someone else and yeah. accelerate that path forward. Yeah. yeah. And it's also the community too. I've seen so many people and so many friendships that were created just from, you know, being a part of the community. So, yeah. 
Yeah, right. yeah. No, it's yeah. Your and network. deals done too. Deals done. People yeah. find investors. People get on deals. It's just amazing the community that's just been created. So I love. Yeah, it. that's that's the power of technology. Just bringing people together. So yeah. let me ask you a question. You know, this this real estate stuff. You know, it's a marathon. You know, if you were to look back and you know, if you had something that you would change within your journey, your marathon, you know, what would you, what would you do differently that you think would contribute to your success? Started earlier. Mm -hmm. I would have started Mm -hmm. earlier and I probably would have found a, try to find a mentor. Um, I wish all the information and content that's out now. Um, I wish I would have been out there before. Um, I, Probably would have had about 20 hotels in my portfolio, multifamily, daycare, seeing living. I mean, who knows where I would have been um, if I would have uh, uh, started earlier and um, had a mentor that kind of walked me through it and kind of guide me. Um, and then also um, being more focused and, and focused on the present. I, I think I would have been a lot uh, 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 further in life on my journey, my, my real estate journey. It's always a good time to, to buy real estate, but you know, the earlier that you start yeah. off, it's it's yeah. such a incremental runway that you have yeah. if you can start early and as soon as possible. I mean, there's there's a lot of ways to make money and you know, it's a lot of ways to create generational wealth. And if yeah. you if you just stick to it and yeah. just continue to push on a daily day-to-day basis, yeah. man, it's 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 no no ceilings to to this business and your financial future. Yeah. So if our listeners are interested in following you, investing with you, you know, how can they follow you and get in touch with you and your company? Sure. I'm on Instagram at Davon Reeves, D-A-V-O-N-N-E-R-E-A-V-E-S. Um, my website is the Von Group, T-H-E-V-O-N-N-E-G-R-O-U-P.com. So everything you need is there. I'm on Instagram and I'm on LinkedIn. That's perfect. Yeah. Well, Davon, thank you so much for being a guest on our show today. We talked a lot about yeah. hotel investing, yeah. you know, how to invest, you know, the yield on hotels today, you know, different KPIs of what to look for when investing in a hotel, you know, how to finance these these properties. I mean, there was just a ton of ton of information. So, you know, if you're if you're listening to today's show, definitely follow Davon, because she has a ton of knowledge in the hotel space. So thank you so much for being a guest on our show. Thank you to the listeners for tuning in to another episode of the Mogul Marathon Real Estate Podcast. Take action today. Let's be great. And remember that real estate is a marathon, not a sprint. Run your own race. Thanks again, Davon. Thank you, Annie. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.